Hey everyone, welcome to episode 153 of the Enfocus podcast. I'm your host Andy Corrigan. Uh, with me as always is Andrew Brown. Hello. And Tori Wassenaar. Hello, hello. Uh, and this week we're going to talk about Katy Perry, funnily enough. Nino Kuni 2, Fighting EX Lair, Another Dash. Bet you can tell what type of game that is from the title. Subnautica and its uh, sequel, Below Zero. And Resident Evil 6, which we've uh, managed to peer pressure Tori into revisiting. With that, let's get on to the latest Switch news. <laughs> Okay, so the uh, first bit of news is uh, Katy Perry dropped her new music video called Electric, which uh, included cameos from everyone's favourite electric Pokemon, Pikachu, and his younger sibling, Pichu, or his son. I don't know. I don't know how that works. They're never clear on that. Could be either. Yeah, uh, so, um, you know, I'm not a massive Katy Perry fan, but... you know, I don't begrudge that she exists or has a music career like some people would. But yeah, that was a neat surprise. Uh, fun little music treat. Uh, either of you two into Katy Perry's music at all? No. <laughs> I am browsing her Wikipedia page right now to find something that I recognize. And She's the one that kissed a girl and liked it. That's as far as... I thought that's I who know. that was, but yeah, I wasn't sure. <laughs> and uh, maybe you're a firework. Oh yeah, hot and cold. Is that the hot and cold I'm thinking of? That is. That's uh, the annoying theme tune of uh, MasterChef Australia. Oh, is it? Yeah, I but- I don't watch TV really, but yeah, it's 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 always on in the background at some point. Is that actually her song or is it a cover? Because I actually I do like that song, but I, <laughs> I'm not a hundred percent sure if it's actually. I think it is. I feel like it's hers. I can't be bothered looking it up, so let's let's just go with that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's hers now. Yeah, exactly. Well, I'm not one to suggest she's as good as, like, uh, you know, Johnny Cash at c- covering a song and making it his own, but, you know. <laughs> what an obscure uh, reference. Oh. Yeah. It's not that obscure. Johnny Cash is amazing. Yeah, but his that... covers were kind of a niche thing. But, yeah, that particular one that, uh, what I think you're talking about, Trent Reznor is basically like, yeah, that's not my song anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he did, he did say that. I was like, oh, well, Johnny Cash just kicked my ass sonically although i will say a, a johnny cash cover of i kissed a girl would be kind of amazing i'd listen to that <laughs> i'd want the johnny cash pokemon experience to be honest oh what pokemon would he be with um the skull dog i forget its name the what dog the, the dog that has bones on it Houndoom. Oh, Houndoom. That's it. Houndoom. Yeah. i reckon that i reckon that's his anything that can learn fire spin <laughs> What an obvious reference. Uh, are there any Pokemon that injure themselves? Because that could be a good one. Um, any Pokemon that runs out of uh, PP? <laughs> PP. <laughs> I was going to say, you're lucky I had a mouthful of coffee then. <laughs> Ghastly, Haunter, later. Gengar, they all are in curse. It's uh, completely... Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. I thought Let's we would again. be on that for like one line and move on. But there we go. A few Pokemon that learn Tantrum. Um, there's that thrash ability that goes all the way back to Gen One that damages the person who uses it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's that move? Is it is it Destiny Bond? Destiny Bond We're... is another one. Yeah. Yeah. As we <laughs> dive into our <laughs> <laughs> Pokemon <laughs> trivia here, uh, I say we just write off the rest of the episode and just pick recording artists and pick Pokemon for them. Well, we have to uh, at least no, talk about new Pokemon Snap. Uh, we do, actually, because we've all finished that, but we'll we'll move on to that in the next seg- segment. 
I should have put that on the notes. So the last bit of news is that uh, Nino Kuni 2 is coming to Switch in September. Uh, previously a PC and PlayStation exclusive, so, so that's good to hear. I did like the sequel a little less than the original. That seems to be good, the consensus. Yeah, I think the combat's better in the sequel. Like, at least it's, it's a completely different com- combat system. It is now an action RPG, like you're hacking and slashing, but... Uh, I think the story in particular was was disappointing. It has no like grounding with the real world, which Ollie has in the original. Uh, but it does have a really cool kingdom building thing, and I, I liked that a lot about it. So uh, yeah, I'm happy it's coming to Switch. Uh, Andrew, you, I think you you liked Inuyo Kuni, but you didn't love it. Um, interesting to see where you go on this one. Yeah, I'm gonna get this. I liked the original well enough. I just I didn't like the third act, which you know most games i play actually i would say the third act is the weakest part so nino kuni is mm-hmm. not unusual or lamentable in that regard so yeah I'm, I'm totally down for this i'll definitely get it day one and probably be talking about it in the end of the year nice and sorry uh i played like a little bit of the first one but it was before i understood how jrpgs worked so i struggled and gave up on it mm-hmm. uh, i do have it on switch so if i can push myself through it maybe i'll get this as, as far nice. as i know as well this one doesn't isn't as attached to the the is it ghibli or ghibli yeah, ghibli ghibli it, it's not that attached to that branding anymore is it no because ghibli didn't exist when they started creating the sequel right and in, in uh, the way they worded it was it didn't exist in the same form as it did when they made the original um and the sequel is you know it's an all-new story there's not any real connection to the original one although there are some references if you know what you're looking for uh so the, the main character is a descendant of uh, the giant cat from the first one for example oh that's why he has ears okay yeah <laughs> evan petty whisker of house children uh so that is that uh so with that we'll get on to what we've been playing in the last week Before we do actually get on to the things we've actually been playing in the last week, let's talk about Pokemon Snap, because I believe that we have all finished it now, or we've all had credits roll. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, my final thoughts are pretty much what I said in that last episode, in that I liked it uh, while it lasted, but I really wish it was more. I think uh, me and Andrew discussed this briefly, where we had the the element of, because it's uh, on, on rails, it really limits the type of photography you can do and everyone has similar looking shots and you've got the social side where you get to edit your photos a bit and you know make them a bit more unique but I kind of wish it was more dynamic like I I hate to you know judge a game on on something it's not but I'm you know I'm just picturing an open world you know dynamic wildlife that live in certain areas and then you know you've you've really got that freedom to frame a shot maybe even stealth mechanics so you can sneak up and and get those photos you know so they they feel more natural rather than this format yeah that that's where I was with it it's it's kind of like I I enjoyed it but I'm probably never gonna think about it again I'm just hoping that it's the revival of this sub series that maybe that because this one was so popular, it might kind of drive innovation within the franchise now. And that the next one might be a bit more open and we'll see, I guess. It's a lot of mites. That's a lot of mites, <laughs> especially with the Pokemon franchise. Yeah, I if they make another one of these, and unless it's like a, a total reimagining of what it is, like Pokemon Legends is looking like it's going to be, I've... I've no interest in playing another one of these. <laughs> like, I didn't. I did dislike this game, actually. Um, I'll go out there and say that. I 
have some reservations about saying that because I, I this is a very well-made game and it's a very technically impressive game from a design standpoint just the the intricacies of all the behaviors and the way all the different monsters can react to the different things you do as you're going along each charted path in each level is actually it's very impressive uh i don't envy the people who had to design and then program this game and make sure it all works i just thought it was really really boring <laughs> especially with <laughs> uh just the pacing and the way that those research levels work mm-hmm. on each stage because you have to play a stage and it starts off at research level zero and then after you reach a certain point threshold in that stage then it'll unlock the next research level and that'll add more pokemon to the stage and it'll change their behaviors and you, each stage like literally every single stage has five research levels so that sounds like there's a lot to do but what i felt like i was doing was just replaying mostly empty levels especially at research level zero trying to squeeze every little bit of life out of the level just so there would be something more interesting to look at the next time i played it except when i'm replaying the level to do that more interesting thing it's usually following the same path that i followed before so i'm not really seeing anything that new i'm just kind of seeing a a slightly changed behavior from the pokemon that was there before and i I could really only bear to play this game about an hour a day so (laughs) uh that that was my big complaint with it it just terribly paced i cannot i was not pleased with that at all yeah the the progression system was a, a problem for me and is exactly why i will not go back and max out every stage to level five because getting a couple of new pokemon didn't feel really worth it especially with the uh the lowering returns on points once you get past uh, level two on a stage like it just i'm gonna have to replay this thing like six times before i get something new again and that that didn't feel worth my time yeah it's like i said in our first episode covering new pokemon snap is i was only had two levels unlocked i already felt like i was grinding and there were like Mm -hmm. a dozen stages or something like that um i think in terms of the the possibility of them like you know revamping out or getting a bit more inventive uh i don't think so because i like the whole reason this, this exists is because of a 20-year campaign from fans to get another one and for those people this is exactly what they wanted so yeah i I can't see them changing that up um i wouldn't be opposed to more you know i enjoyed what i played it was just set out in a way that made me not want to see everything it had to do um and that that felt like a a big shame especially with something with you know such colorful and characterful creatures and yeah just i just wish it was more that's all i just wish it was more Okay, so uh, next up, let's uh, let uh, Tori have a chat. <laughs> uh, and you've been you went back to Resident Evil Six to tackle Leon's campaign. Yep. Oh boy, the uh, best one. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I have thoughts, TM, about Resident Evil Six. Um, <laughs> we finished uh, Leon's campaign last night, and I was complaining pretty much the entire time. <laughs> It just feels incredibly oddly paced and inconsistent. There, there is a story. You, you start off at a university and the president's dead and then you move through and then you're in an underground lab. That that feels like classic Resident Evil. And then you're in a church and there are some moments in there that add that sort of puzzle element to Resident Evil where the, the environmental puzzle setting 
it felt interesting enough. And then the majority of it is just in this underground cavern that I don't know why we were there. We were just moving through it. It just felt like padding. And I don't know why it was there and it wasn't fun. There was a whole bunch of waiting around. It's one of those puzzles where you, you and your partner push through. Your partner has to do something for you to progress and vice versa. But it doesn't give you anything to do while you wait for your partner to solve that puzzle. You're just standing there waiting. Deliberately, sometimes they'll move your partner's character off screen. So you can't even help them shoot enemies. You're just waiting. And it was mind-blowing that people played this and went, yep, I'm having fun. To be fair, they didn't. It was widely criticized, but it's just me and Andrew didn't think it was as bad as everyone said. (laughs) I bought it brand new for $10, which probably helps my perception of it because i didn't spend anything on this game (laughs) and i went in two years later um and when i announced that i was going to play it i just had a tirade of people going no don't do it and then i played it out of spite mostly and didn't hate it (laughs) and i'll also say i definitely thought leon's campaign was the weakest and that's why everybody who i've seen in the past who has said i'm going to play resident evil 6 and i've never played it anymore i've always advised them play leon's campaign last because it's the worst and it also happens chronologically after everybody else's so nothing in it actually makes sense if you haven't played the other campaigns that was another gripe that I had, is that it kind of presents Leon's campaign to you first. Um, he's the, the tutorial chapter. It's Leon. So it, it's kind of telling you, now you should play the rest of, like, figure out the context of that tutorial. And a whole bunch of stuff happens unrelated, relatively unrelated to the main plot. And then all of a sudden, Chris shows up and Sherry shows up and it, it's just confusing I get what you're saying by, I've never been a fan of telling people just push through the bad part and then it will get good. I don't think games should have the weakest point at the start. And I think it's perfectly fair if people go, no, I'm, I'm giving up here. That's the part where you're meant to draw people in. And I think that this Leon campaign does the exact opposite of that. I bounced off it originally because we took your advice to do Leon's last and we thought, well, let's go. He's at the top of the list. Let's start at the bottom. And we did Ada's campaign and we did the first one. And that one's not designed around Mm -hmm. co-op. That that was was an (laughs) add-on. It's not your fault. It's, it's, we took your advice and went the wrong direction with it. Yeah. Well, Uh, Ada's my least favorite. I would have. Yeah. The boss in Ada's chapter is amazing. I will say that. But um, I would have warned you about that, but in the Xbox 360 version, which is the version that I've played and beaten, Ada's chapter doesn't even unlock until you've played everybody else's chapter. So it didn't even occur to me to warn you about that. Yeah. Well, we we bounced off it, but then we went, well, maybe we'll try Chris's campaign. And we did the first chapter and it was just, wasn't bad. It was just bland. Mm -hmm. It just felt like a shooter without any soul to it it's a level uh, or a sorry like a, a chapter befitting of chris's personality <laughs> <laughs> there, there weren't any boulders to punch though <laughs> i will play. say though that playing through leon's campaign has made me appreciate resident evil 5 a hell of a lot more <laughs> <laughs> wow that makes me so sad <laughs> i just did the, the, the other complaint that me and my friend had were the quick time events they seem to be a frustrating and be arbitrary when it happens in a cutscene because sometimes you're expecting it to happen like there's that anticipation that something's falling a character's falling you're in trouble 
you're anticipating to push a button to get out of it and it doesn't show up. And then sometimes it will just spring one on you when you're not expecting it and you miss it and then you have to do the whole cutscene again. Quick time events are bad enough, but when they're also done poorly, it just takes you out of it and the frustration isn't a good frustration. It's just a, I just want to move on. <laughs> and also the, la the final boss in that campaign felt a bit lackluster. Like it kind of dies in a cutscene. Oh, that, that's the one on the, where you're fighting fighting on the scaffolding and all that isn't it yeah the rooftop yeah that's i it. remember the introduction um, to that fight i don't remember the fight <laughs> so <laughs> yeah we're still gonna push through it i'm determined to beat this game just so i can say that i've played every mainline resident evil game but i'm not looking forward to it uh it's either chris or jake's chapter or campaign next i can't remember i don't think that's a bad one either uh, jake's has a monster that chases you through the entire campaign so you're either gonna like it or you're gonna hate it for that reason <laughs> weirdly enough it, it kind of sounds like each campaign in re6 is kind of like a reference to a previous re game like mm -hmm. in in terms of like the approach and the game design and the level design i don't think the execution has quite gotten it right but i felt the same way about re8 which i won't talk about too in depth in on here but the good thing about RE8 is that that feels like a whole bunch of smaller RE games connected by a, a hub area. <laughs> and I feel like the execution was done better, but that's not on Switch, so I won't hype that one up too much. <laughs> I am taking a sick pleasure in your uh, struggle through Resident Evil 6. Um... <laughs> but yeah, uh, context is everything. So we're, when we're saying like, oh, it's not as bad as everyone says, you know, we have very, we came to it long after and with very specific scenarios going into it so <laughs> it's definitely it's, interesting it's good to play it to it. see why they rebooted the series with mm -hmm. seven yeah i still want you to play the playstation originals one day maybe if they I mean, release I mean, them. If, you, if you if you're saying you're playing all the mainline resident evils you know i think you kind of have to no at least i'll have like a an idea of where to go because i've played the remakes hmm <laughs> <laughs> Three, maybe not so much. Maybe not on two either, but... <laughs> uh, some idea. <laughs> actually, the uh, they took some liberties with it, but the Raccoon Police Department in the remake is actually fairly faithful to it is, as it is in the original. You, you, to, you'll know, to a point. You'll know generally where the rooms are at, but yeah, Resident Evil 3, that <laughs> remake, will not help you at all in the original Resident Evil 3. <laughs> Okay, well, uh, let's move on. Uh, um, we'll, uh, I'll go next. I'll talk about Fighting EX Lair, Another Dash, uh, which is a spiritual successor to the Street Fighter EX series. So the um, Street Fighter EX series started on PlayStation 1, uh, carried on through a further two iterations onto PlayStation 2, and this was basically Street Fighter's attempt, at, uh, first ever attempt, sorry, at a... a being a 3D fighter, sort of obviously spurred on by the, the likes of Tekken. And the unfortunate part of that is that those games are not particularly great. They're quite slow. They're clunky. Everything feels a bit floaty. Uh, they did kind of improve a little as they moved up a generation. But, you know, they have their fans, obviously, because this is why this game exists. So the developers, uh, Arika of uh, who who made the street fighter e ex series they decided to make a spiritual successor uh, which is this one fighting ex lair there are some links between the two uh between the two series predominantly the character of skullomania who was in the ex series but never in street fighter ever again 
Uh, so I think this must be a character that's owned by the developer, because uh, there's otherwise there's some weird uh, licensing rights going on there. And uh, Skullomania's backstory is amazing. He's like a very low-level businessman who's not very successful and wants to earn money so dresses up in a costume to beat the crap out of people so anyway so the game itself so uh this is a paid game so the the full the full thing costs 30 dollars in australia but there is a free version which is where the another dash part comes in uh the free version is lacking quite a few features so there's no online mode you have no training mode uh which is uh, a big negative for this free version which i'll get into soon uh, and you only have access to four characters. Uh, the four they give you, um, I can't remember all their names, sorry, but the main archetypes for fighting games are here. You've got the Ryu type, uh, from right down to his fireball and hurricane kick. You've got a, a, a grappler who plays a lot like Zangief. Uh, there's a Chun-Li type. Largely, there's a big Street Fighter influence here. Um, when you get into the game itself, the handling does feel like modern Street Fighter. If I had to pin it to one of the modern ones i would say it feels most like street fighter 4 obviously it has the systems that are completely its own but much like most fighters you'll be build up a meter which you can then spend on several benefits such as uh, guard breaks which was a mechanic in street fighter ex uh, where you can hit enemies with a move that doesn't do uh, any damage or not much damage but then will stun them to allow you for a big punish uh, and you have to get your timing right to better to land that of course uh, and then you get like an EX dash, which is a invulnerable run. You've got the EX arrow where you you'll jump over them, and then there's an EX illusion which I couldn't quite get to trigger. So I I will have to come back to you on, on what that actually is. I think it's like a fake dash because uh, that seemed to be the result of trying to perform the button presses for that. But yeah, so it's hard to learn the game without having a dedicated training mode available so I, I haven't paid for it I've just been playing on the, the free version you can still access all the uh, movesets the command list but you've got no way of just practicing without you know like endlessly practicing the combos or the moves and getting that stuff nailed down you have to pay for that uh, which I think is limiting um you know obviously I don't want to give everything away in a free version but also you can you can't really gauge how deep a fighting game is until you've spent some time in its training mode practicing those things so i, I think that that's that's uh I, I won't say poor form but um you know that that's a disappointing thing uh, if you're trying to get new players and you want to give them a way to practice and i feel like if they start to feel like they're getting to grips with it then they're more likely to pay for the the full thing in terms of performance uh there's a slight blur and like pixelated hair that's not uh dissimilar to mortal kombat 11 on switch and um, i'd say the performance is pretty similar everything's got this yeah like a slight blur to it the background especially so but the gameplay itself is smooth and i uh without playing the other versions i would wager this is on on par in terms of you know just the game feel the other thing is even if you had the paid version, there's not many modes. There's just arcade. Uh, there's no story mode. No, you know, no challenge modes or anything like that. It's pretty light. Uh, the but you know it, it does cost half the price of you know most AAA fighting games. So you know you you do have to take the price into consideration there a little bit. So verdict wise, I've I've spent like uh, probably a night on this um, and just you know going through the arcade mode. Uh, it's fun. I think mechanically it's strong. Uh, you can definitely tell that the developers have had pedigree with the Street Fighter series. You know, it, it's a, a release that expands the list of available fighters on, on the Nintendo Switch, uh, which is a positive. For me, 
I'm probably not going to continue with it. Like, if I want to play a fighting game, I'm going to play Street Fighter V. Or if it's going to be another fighting game, I'm going to get it for the story mode, such as, you know, Mortal Kombat or Injustice. I still need to play Injustice too. That's a good point. So I'm not sure if it's got, for me anyway, it's got the legs. So, yeah, it's... Uh, I definitely recommend trying out the free version um, just just to see if, if it feels like your kind of thing. But other than that, yeah, uh, I, I don't feel the need for me to... To, to break off from many of the other fighters that I enjoy uh, for this one in particular. I'm, I'm tempted to kind of try it out. Um, I'm a big fan of when the the fans and the indie devs kind of take over and make the spiritual successes to games that have a niche following or that the developers, the original developers just kind of forgot about. So I'm just um, curious to see, because I, I don't even know if I have Street Fighter EX, it's, it might be it's something that i own somewhere but <laughs> um oh yeah i did mention that i didn't mention actually the uh the street fighter ex games are a fully 3d arena so like if if you're fighting against ryu and he does a fireball you can sidestep that in this this is straight back to a, a 2d plane uh so it does feel more like traditional street fighter uh than i i think they they would imply with you know the the naming convention and its status as a spiritual successor as fighters should be <laughs> <laughs> I, I agree with that i know that tekken's pretty good but that's not reliant on projectiles so that's that it's there uh rec- definitely recommend trying it for free uh now the probably the the big release from the past couple of weeks was subnautica and its sequel uh below zero which both launched on switch on the same day i think uh and andrew's been checking out those primarily the first one so he's gonna take us on a deep dive sorry i quit i'm leaving <laughs> Somebody else can talk about Subnautica. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get sea salty. <laughs> so I'll just be over here laughing at my own jokes. As always happens with people who spend all their time making puns. So Subnautica is a survival crafting adventure game where you play as the survivor of a crashed spaceship, the Aurora, and you land on an ocean world in your escape pod and you just have to try to survive. And you do that by scavenging resources, by diving beneath the ocean. You start off in a fairly friendly reef environment with your escape pod quite handily landing in a very shallow area where it's only a a few meters down to the bottom. But as you work your way up from rudimentary tools to the advanced stuff, you start working your way further and further down into the depths of the ocean and you are working on solving mysteries and you have to find out what happened on this world how what happened is connected to why the aurora crashed and what does that mean for you as far as escaping and once you've solved all these mysteries then you can be rescued from the planet and escape and that's the basic premise of both games although i haven't played below zero at all i'm going to save that for the latter half of the year uh, but from what i've read below zero is much more story driven whereas the original is a little more open in what it asks you to do uh, i i don't know what that really means as far as below zero if, if it has more clearly regimented areas or it just does a better job of signposting where you're supposed to go next but the original subnautica i can go pretty much wherever my current technology level will take me and it's quite easy to miss things 
because you're in an ocean that stretches off in every direction. There's really no choosing a, a correct path to follow. You just find things in whatever order you find things, and sometimes you stumble across some wreckage that'll help you progress forward and the map is not procedurally generated it's a completely designed crafted world so if you know where to go you can get through it pretty quick but if you don't know where to go you're gonna have to do some exploring to find things there are four modes there's survival which is your traditional survival style game where you have to manage your hunger and your water meters as well as having a limited supply of oxygen as well as your health and the freedom mode uh, takes out the uh, the food and the water resources. And really, as far as managing my food and water where I'm at in the game right now, every so often I just have to go back to my escape pod, uh, which is also where I built my base. I'll talk about build, base building in a little bit. And I have to swim around there and just capture some basic fish for that'll get me food and water I can eat and drink to get those meters back up. Eventually, I'm going to get to the point where I'm diving so deep and I'm taking so long to spend time away from, from safe areas, basically, that I'm, I'm going to have to bring food and water supplies with me, but I'm not at that place yet. I, I'm still fairly early on where I can just hop back to my base real quick when I need to recharge those meters. And there's another mode called Freedom, which removes the hunger and water meters, and the Hardcore mode, which has everything turned on, as well as permadeath, obviously. And the creative mode, which has everything turned off. You can go wherever you want. You have infinite oxygen, and you can just build to your heart's content with the base building tool, which, again, we'll get to that in a minute. I start off with a fabricator on my skate pod, and that's what I have to build off of. It is corrupted at the start of the game. It's supposed to have this entire suite of tools that I can use to survive. Of course, uh, <laughs> the pod is damaged when I land, and I start off with almost nothing. I can build some basic tools like a, a better tank so I can breathe underwater for about 45 seconds instead of the 15 seconds you start off in and uh, some flippers to make you swim faster and then after a while I scavenge enough tools that I can build a scanner that I can use to scan wildlife as well as scan wreckage and by scanning wreckage is how you add the missing blueprints to your ship's log so you can build those things as well. And like a knife that I can use to harvest coral and underwater plant life. And then I get the repair tool so I can fix the radio in the escape pod, which lets me receive radio signals from other escape pods on the on the planet. And I always go to those places and find the people there have already died horrible deaths. It's that kind of game. <laughs> and <laughs> after a while, I, I with the better tools, I can start crafting things that require batteries which luckily you can just build batteries using junk you find on the ocean floor that's handy and i can make things like uh, flashlights and i can build a thing called the sea glide which is this mini turbine engine i can just point in front of me and that really expands what i'm able to explore because it significantly increases the speed i move underwater and then I upgrade from there to vehicles. I can build a thing called the Seamoth, which is a full-on single-person submarine that has infinite oxygen. And uh, I can use that as kind of a, a mobile underwater oxygen restoration. And that really opens up how deep I can go because I'm no longer reliant on actually returning to the surface of the ocean to restore my oxygen at that point. And 
I haven't unlocked him yet, but there's also a prawn suit, which I think is kind of a, a deep diving, a diving suit, and uh, the Cyclops, which is like a full-on submarine, which I can build, and I think that thing is going to be fairly important towards getting down into the very bottom levels. A friend of the show, McGarnagle, who uh, is playing alongside me, he's already down to 900 and 1,000 kilometers beneath the ocean, so... It goes pretty deep, and uh, already, even at just like 200 meters where I'm at, I'm seeing some weird stuff. <laughs> and another <laughs> big thing I can get is I can build a a habitat builder, which is like the, is this handcrafted 3D generator, basically, where I can use to start building things underwater. This is where the game really opens up, but I really struggled to find where the parts were at so I could actually begin this part of the game, and it, it bottlenecked me, like all this past week because I, I needed to find this one room that would let me start building other things inside of it that I had all these recipes for but I just could not find wreckage of that kind of room so I could actually build it and get started on this finally I found it so I could start building things like lockers where I could really store all my stuff that I've been hoarding and basically just dropping in a pile underneath my escape pod because I really had nowhere else to store it and also I can build things like battery rechargers before I needed to replace the batteries in one of my gadgets. I had to craft a new battery. Now that I've got that battery charger in my habitat, I can just swap out charged batteries for my mostly dead batteries in my gadgets instead of constantly building new ones. That's really nice. And somehow in entire structures don't actually cost anything more to build than the small tools. I'm not sure how that works, but it's a nice balancing thing. Like, it might sound daunting, you know, building an entire underwater base, but really you, you find a few chunks of titanium, which is your basic metal ore that you find almost everywhere. And you can build actually quite a few rooms with 10 pieces of titanium ore, which is pretty cool. And uh, oh yeah, this game is also bring your brown pants scary <laughs> you'll be fine just exploring the ocean for a little while then suddenly this giant shark like literally 10 times the size of you just suddenly appears and bites your face off and every time you die you just unless you're playing on the permadeath mode you just go back to your escape pod and you get to start over and you lose your basic resources that you were carrying but other than that uh, dying isn't that big of a deal uh, the, i found the biggest penalty for dying was actually finding my way back to where I died because <laughs> often <laughs> often I was someplace where I was like I kind of know where I'm at in relation to places I've discovered and you know where my base is at but not exactly and if I feel like there's something important in that area I'll probably spend more time trying to find my way back there than actually you know exploring the rest of the area that I died in and this might just be speaking personally but I've always been terrified of deep water actually I Playing Super Mario 64 used to be a challenge for me because the underwater levels actually scared the hell out of me. <laughs> but I've gotten a lot better about that. But Subnautica is bringing that back because just like in real life, the deeper you go down, the less sunlight is penetrating through all that water. And when you get down a, a, just even a few hundred meters, it is pitch black down there. So I'm just kind of moving around in my sea moth and pointing my flashlight at things and suddenly basically a sea monster because everything down there is trying to kill you suddenly appears and i'm just running for my life uh it's a it's a scary game and then also just weird things happen like one time i was in my escape pod and 
suddenly I started seeing these waves on the screen, like in my character's vision. And then this shadow of this creature appeared like it was attached to my face. And then it said, what are you? Then it disappeared again. I was like, what just happened? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So it's a pretty scary, it's a pretty cool game. It's a scarier than any resident evil game I've played in probably the last 20 years, (laughs) at least. As for the performance on the Switch, because this is a, a port of a game that is on PC, it's on PlayStation 4, that was where it started life as. There's no autosave, which I find bizarre, especially for a, a survival crafting game. So make sure you're mm-hmm. manually saving a lot, because like I said, dying is no big deal. You just respawn back at your pod. But if the game crashes, which hasn't happened to me yet, but I have read about it crashing to people you're not just going to pick up a few minutes before where the game crashed. You are going to pick up from your last save. So save often. <laughs> Again, because there's no autosave, even though this is a survival crafting game, you can save scum the hell out of this game if you want to. That's totally fine. The game <laughs> does not care. Uh, interactables is where I, I really feel the Switch compromise the most. There's this item before I was able to build my habitat and get those big lockers to store things in. I was using these things called waterproof lockers, which are basically little chests I can drop on the floor, on the ocean floor, and store things inside them. And you can do cool things with them, like you can pick them up and move them around if there's nothing inside of them. They hold about 16 item slots, which isn't a lot, but it's better than nothing and you can actually write on the front of it and change what the name of the chest is so you know what's inside of it and where i ran into trouble with that is actually it's all done with the same interactable button if i want to change the name of the thing i have to point the cursor like the on-screen reticle at the text on the locker if i want to pick up the locker i have to point it at the locker's handles and if i want to open the locker i have to point it like anywhere else on the locker's body and it's like couldn't we have just changed it so that way the a button lets me pick up the locker the b button lets me open the locker the y button lets me rewrite what the name is i was like but it doesn't do that it's all with the same action button and there's a a quick menu too for the the usable items and that's a a little hot bar at the bottom of your screen that you can put five items on. And if there is a way to change the order that the items go on that hot bar, I have not found it and I've looked, uh, but it'll just take the item I selected in my inventory. It'll stick it at the front of the hot bar or the quick bar. And the thing at the end of the quick bar will get bumped off. And that's a real problem if I need to suddenly whip out a particular item in a hurry because I have to open up my inventory, I have to scroll to it, and I have to select it, then I have to open it on my quick bar. And if it's something that's gotten bumped off my quick bar, that's a real problem. It's a bad system. It's probably the worst experience I've had in Subnautica. And maybe they can patch it to change it, but I don't know. All in all, when I was looking at these systems, it was making me realize, oh, this was a game that was designed for PC where these are still problems, but, you know, you have a lot more buttons <laughs> to work with and the mouse has a lot more precision than a joystick, so they are less of a problem there. So that, that's that's disappointing and those are the biggest problems I've had really is just, just interacting with the game because it's a game that was made for PC and they've tried a one-to-one console port without really compensating for the limitations of a gamepad 
And it's, it's weird they chose to do that because even on PC, it's increasingly common for people to just play with a gamepad. Yeah. Maybe we'll see changes down the line to fix that. Minor complaints, uh, I can only deposit and withdraw items from storage. I can't swap them out, which is weird. So if my inventory is completely full, I have to go empty it before I can uh, take something out of my inventory I really want. Yeah, yeah that's dumb. Uh, graphically, which is probably where people are most concerned about the Switch port, um, I'm not going to say this game doesn't have graphical problems. What I'm going to say is the graphical problems I'm seeing on Switch and from what I'm seeing other people talk about in other versions of the game are the same graphical problems that are even on PC and PlayStation 4, especially texture pop-in. There is a ton of texture popping in this game, and like the more densely decorated an area is, the worse the problem becomes. They use some pretty strange tricks to get some of these areas built. So like, it, it's not just a texture that'll pop in. It'll be like I'll see like the vague shape of the reef in front of me, and then as I get closer to it, suddenly more features of the reef will appear on top of that vague shape. So it's not even just texture popping. It's like entire assets that are, are not appearing until I get closer it's an odd choice and like i said it's noticeable on switch but it's actually the same thing happening on playstation 4 and pc i'm sure it's less noticeable there but it, there's still a problem that exists there and there's uh, occasional frame rate drops it's nothing game breaking and i found the faster you're moving the more the worse the performance gets as if the game is just struggling to load the world as i move through it so it, i'm mostly seeing that when i'm in the seamoth and i'm moving through the ocean real really fast but if I'm just out swimming freely, uh, it, it's barely noticeable, and it's perfectly playable. So you know, it, it's a typical Switch port, probably not the best place to play it in terms of performance, but you can play it portably. That's the edge it gets, and I, I'm perfectly satisfied with this port. This is one of the best survival games I've played. I was feeling a little discouraged there trying to find that habitat structure so I could scan it and actually start building my underwater base, but once I found it i started loving this game again i'm excited to get down into those thousand meter depths where the really scary stuff happens in the pitch dark because it looks awesome and i i love <laughs> this game and uh i'm looking forward to playing below zero in the second half of the year nice have you booted up below zero at all or i haven't just focusing on i haven't one? even booted it up yet i'm poking focusing right. entirely on the original right now um interesting about the the fact that it's all handcrafted uh not proc gen because i did see some people describe it as no men's sea but i guess that's more of a a system comparison uh, as a survival game rather than a you know the the technical yeah no man's where the level yeah no man's sky is a weird example of that because like it, it's worlds were procedurally generated but they're also exist they they are static so it's not mm -hmm. like Minecraft where it's generating as you explore. It, I don't know why I'm going into this minutiae about <laughs> technically, uh, but yeah, I, I see what you mean. Yeah, well, it certainly sounds interesting. Uh, probably one I would wait for on sale. Sorry, you got any interest in this one? I mean, the horror part sounded interesting, but I, I can't even get through water levels without holding my breath. So... <laughs> This game would probably kill me. <laughs> when people talk about their hatred of water levels, they always, you know, go to Sonic. Uh, for me, it's the 
turtles in this game. Oh, the damn. I hate that level. Oh, God. I've had a few very close calls in there. Because <laughs> like, the closer you are to running out of air and drowning, uh, the screen starts to turn black. And there have been two or three times where I reached the surface just as the screen was pitch black. Yeah, also the horror stuff does sound interesting because I didn't know that it had that. Yeah. I thought it was just underwater survival. So that's really cool. The horror aspect um, is honestly making me consider blowing out my lungs for this. Kind of reminded me a bit of uh, Returnal, which I've been playing, still stuck on the second boss. Um, but there's bits in between, like you can interact with your ship before you set off on a run. And there, there was one point it let me sit in the, the pilot seat. And then there was just like an old fashioned astronaut staring at me from outside. Uh, similar vibes, like, uh oh, <laughs> like similar to the what are you? <laughs> scenario uh yeah i think une- unexpected horror is the best kind of horror yeah yeah so that's it that's everything that we've been playing so uh let's end the episode okay folks what are we playing in the coming week tori we'll start with you i managed to pick up uh shin megami tensei 3 hoping to get stuck into that and talk about it next week i'm i'm very keen to to see the a bit more of the franchise that was the blueprint for persona and trying not to mentally compare everything to persona while playing it Mm -hmm. yeah they're, they're very different i believe oh yeah um i've played the fourth one and it is brutally hard so i'm very thankful for the merciful difficulty in this one <laughs> uh and Andrew? uh there's a game where you play as a shark who's out for revenge for the shark hunter that injured it or killed its mother or something i forget what the exact uh details are but um it's an open world shark rpg it's jaws the revenge the game it's called man eater i hope it's good i hope it's a good port because uh this is another one that came out on I think Xbox One last year, <laughs> but it sounded really cool, and I'm glad there's a Switch port. It looks like the best type of seven out of ten. I like those games sometimes. Oh no, they're great. They're, they're, I, I prefer them to the nine out of tens a lot of the cases. Do you know how numbers work? No, yeah. I, I get what you mean. The prestige <laughs> games are getting kind of <laughs> annoying. For example, Pokemon Snap is the bad kind of seven out of ten. Yeah, <laughs> just to be really controversial. And The Last of Us Part Two is the bad kind of nine out of ten. <laughs> For me. Uh, so I picked up uh, Baldur's Gate Dark Alliance now that it finally launched on Switch, but because it was delayed, I kind of have switched slightly, and I have my heart set on playing Baldur's Gate 1, that uh, part of the Beamdog uh, engine releases that came out last year. God, that was last year, was wasn't two it? Two years ago. Oh my came god. Came out day and date okay. with Witcher 3. Oh no. Okay, so yeah, I, uh, <laughs> I started uh, Planescape Torment which I believe you've just started this weekend. I have, and it's a very good port. It's not at all like that Pillars of Eternity port that I played last year. Very well mm-hmm. made. Beamdog did an excellent job on it. Or Beamdog did the original Enhanced Editions. Uh, might have been somebody else who ported it to Switch. Regardless, mm-hmm. it's a great way to play the game. And I hope you enjoy Baldur's Gate. Although, why you want to play these two before, <laughs> before Dark Alliance? Like... A, that's like a 200-hour obstacle you're putting in front of starting Dark Alliance, and B, Dark Alliance has nothing to do with the other two Baldur's Gate games. Yeah, I I was going to go into this, so... (laughs) Uh, I I only found out that Dark Alliance existed when they announced it. (laughs) And the only reason I wanted it is because I've been missing D&D. But I have had that double pack sat there for so long, and, you know, it's very highly rated... Uh, so I kind of want to experience that. What my 
get out clause was going to be is when I finally finish Bravely Default 2, that's where I'll play Dark Alliance, probably. <laughs> so that that's my loose plan. Uh, so yeah, we'll go with that. But yeah, like uh, I was looking at the how long to beat and Dark Alliance is meant to be like 12 hours long if you rush mm-hmm. it. So I was like, I could just do that and then start Baldur's Gate 1, but yeah, I don't know. I'll, I'll see how I feel. The, the reason I say hopefully play that, that's because I really want to finish Kingdoms of Amala before I get to that because I can't bear to have several fantasy RPGs on the go at once. So progress in Kingdoms of Amula, I think I'm like four mission, no, three missions from the end of the core game wow. of that. So I, w- I was actually burning through the side quests and I was A, finding them mostly boring, like the just go somewhere, kill stuff thing doesn't work in a post-Witcher world. So I thought, you know, I'll, I'll go through some of the, the story missions until I feel... Uh, a bit weak and that hasn't happened yet so i'm just gonna keep going with the story i think i'll probably stop before the final mission and then go check out like the missions that i actually want to do because i'm i'm sure as hell not gonna bother with stuff like you know collect 20 flowers for someone like i can't be bothered with that stuff i just want to do the meaty combat heavy stuff yeah so i'm not actually far off finishing it but because i've been rushing the story missions i have acquired a hundred side missions along the way so uh, i'll filter through those before i finish and of course there's also the dlc but i do think i will have the game beaten uh in this week so that that's why i say hopefully i'll start Baldur's gate wasn't that a lengthy explanation no one asked for Okay, uh, and with that, that's the end of the show. I'm more confused by your logic now. Just go with it. It's easier. (laughs) Okay, thanks for listening to episode 153 of Unfocus. If you enjoyed the episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps us to get noticed. You can also listen on Stitcher, Spotify, and other podcast services. Uh, Make sure to check out our sister shows, uh, PlayState, uh, and we do have the Power of X, but just a bit of a update on that one. Um, Mikey, the host of Power of X, has had to drop out. So we're uh, taking some time and looking at relaunching that with uh, a new host and a new team. Uh, there are some irons in the fire. We will uh, update you when we have more news on that one. Uh, but expect that to come back in the near future. Uh, of course, all our shows uh, collectively are part of the game Podula Network. Uh, which is our podcast network. And with that, you can join our Discord server to interact with the lively game Podular community. Uh, And you can also follow us on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, and at gamepodular.com for updates, news, and other content. Links for all those things are in the show notes. If you'd like to support the network and, by extension, our show, you can buy us a coffee or become a Game Podular Patreon. Just a quick note on the Patreon, I found out that for some reason it had reverted to unpublished, so no one's been able to been able to uh, patronize us anyway uh so that has been fixed so if supporting the network is something you were hoping to do and and fell at the first hurdle that's something that's open again now details for both those avenues for supporting our network are on our website uh thanks for thanks in advance for anyone that wants to do that uh, this episode was edited by me andy corrigan and you can follow me on twitter over at flame roast toast you can follow andrew at play critically and you can read his long form reviews over at playcritically.com and you can also follow tori on twitter she's at stwtwo 